social climate change. Alrighty. There we go. Well, Elijah, thanks for uh, meeting with me. I think uh, right now more than ever is a very important time that, you know, people have discussions with police officers. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I especially, you know, it's 2021. We just came through a lot of, uh, a lot of opposition, a lot of um, tension building between, you know, I don't know. I don't want to label a presser, but enforcer is what a police officer is. Mm-hmm. And... How were you? How long have you been a police officer for? Um, for two years, so about a year of that is training, um, all the way from pre-academy to going through the academy to field, uh, to after the academy, doing some in-house training with your specific department, um, to field training where you're uh, riding around and driving around with a, another um, seasoned officer, if you want to call it that field training officer. It's basically usually been on for at least four to five years at, at minimum. Um, and then um, after that, you're on, on probation. So what does um, that mean? Probation is, is essentially that, you know, um, from the time, I think for us is from the time you graduated academy is about um, 12, 12 to 16 months. I should know specifically, but somewhere in that time frame where um, if at any point in time they feel like you are not fit to do the job, they can fire you, get rid of you uh, very easily. Um, once you get tendered and on, on probation, um, they can still fire you, of course, if there's cause, um, but it can be a little more challenging, so to speak. Because um, when, you're, when you're in probation, I mean, every, every single thing that you do um, is heavily, 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 heavily scrutinized and make sure that you can, you can do the job. Um, you're basically on a leash. Um, and not that, not that when you're off of probation, things aren't scrutinized, but it's that leash is, uh, is not there anymore. Um, because there's more trust. Like we've evaluated you. We've seen everything that you can do. We trust that you can do the job. You receive the training. So, um, basically went through training for a year. Um, and then, I've uh, been on the road um, for a little over a year now. Um, on the road as in, does that mean you're a traffic cop? Uh, I was on patrol. So patrol, um, basically when you get through the academy, um, when you're with it, the police a police department, um, sheriff's department is different, but when you're with a police department, you always go to patrol. Um, patrol does anything from traffic, so you're basically tied to your radio where you're responding to the various calls that come out in your area that you're designated to, uh, um, to circulate and then hang out in. Um, so that is what you what you get cut loose to, yeah. Okay. Um, what made you want to become a cop? Yeah, man. That is, <laughs> that is an important question. It's, a, it's an important question, big question. Um, Especially in these times, you yeah. know, and I know you have a religious kind of background. Please. Yeah, no, absolutely, man. So... Um, I thought about being a cop, let's take it back to when I was a kid. So when I was a kid, um, you know, of course, played the cops and robbers, all that, running around, always, like, you know, liked the idea of having a radio and riding on my bike. You were always the cop in yeah, the cops and robbers. Yeah, exactly, responded it, and, uh, Just keep going. Yep. So, um, yeah, so I had that, and then, of course, as I, um, 
you know, went to middle school, of course, all that kind of evaporated. And for a while, I was focused on playing, you know, football. And, of course, like every kid that played football, you're like, oh, I'm going to make it to the NFL. And those dreams ev evaporate for the majority of people. Um, then, for a while, I was focused on going into the military. Um, and then, eventually, I became a Christian um, my junior year of high school. I was baptized um, and received the Lord, Lord Jesus as my Savior. Um, and then from there, I kind of went on the path to I was going to become a pastor. Felt called to be a pastor. Um, went to Liberty University down in Lynchburg. Um, I know there's a lot of stuff that people have heard about Liberty, but I enjoyed my time there. It really shaped and molded me. Um, I believe to be a productive human mm, in this yeah. world. Um, For sure. So there, I, I majored in um, international relations. From there... Uh, as soon as I graduated, I came back here and actually became a youth pastor for two years at the church that I grew up in, which was funny to see it come full circle. Um, during that time, I was able to further my studies and, and graduate work. Um, so I was doing youth pastor work and facilities assistant at the church. So I was teaching kids on Sunday, and then along with that, Monday through Friday, I was cleaning toilets. I was doing maintenance work around the church. Really? You were there. a janitor? Yeah. And so, it was... It You're was a, God's janitor. No I was. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> yeah. You could call it that. So, I did that, and it, none of it was full-time, so I had, like, those two jobs combined together, like, amounted to less than 40 hours, which was good in the sense that it allowed me to pursue, like, my graduate work. Because doing that full-time job and then trying to do grad school. What was your graduate work? I thought you were you were in school. To be, so you did go to college. Yeah, so I went to college. My undergraduate work was in international relations. Um, yeah. Got out of college, took a semester off while I was working, and then I went back into the uh, seminary online and got a um, master's in Christian apologetics. Which Christian apologetics is defense of the Christian faith. So it's really like a blending of philosophy, theology answering questions about like God's existence or the problem of evil, looking at world religion, other world religions, how that fits with Christianity, like what, what is a Christian's view of other world religions and so forth. So I was doing that with the two jobs that I was doing. Okay. Like I said, that was great that it didn't add up to 40 hours in the sense that it gave me more time to study. Got it. However, um, it didn't provide benefits. So I came to this point during that time because when I, before I started my job, I wasn't married, I wasn't dating, I didn't even think that was on the horizon. Um, but after I took the job, like shortly after, I met who my wife is now, and everything like went rapid speed. We ended up getting we met from the time that we met to the time that we got married was a year. So I was sitting there with a less than full-time job with no benefits mm. and still my parents' insurance, and I have a beautiful wife and we want to start a family so I came to like this this point where I was like I felt like I was pinned up against a rock is a real like if you want to call it just like a very difficult like existential period right it felt like a lot of tension because I felt like man I'm called to past be pastor I don't I don't know if I can give that up I felt like it was so woven into my identity I was like I can't imagine not doing that like especially when I've been training and laboring for it, you know, for the past couple of years and have felt called by God to go that way. But like, I feel I need to provide for my family. And I feel like at right, right now, there's no pastor job that's going to allow me to do that. 
Yeah. So I started thinking, and one day it just kind of clicked. Where it's like, well, what about what about law enforcement? And well, hmm. and at first I kind of brushed it off. I was like, man, I have to go to the academy. I have to wake up at like five, four in the morning. I was like, I can't do that. I'm such a night owl. <laughs> and uh, so I mean, honestly, those were my thoughts beforehand. And but it just kept growing. I, I likened it to like God was really. He just kept like pushing me in that direction because I am so stubborn. Same. So eventually, it came to a point where I knew like 100%. Hey, God is calling me in this direction. Um, so I applied with a couple departments. Uh, eventually, got on with the city of Alexandria Police Department. Um, a lot of people, a lot of times people don't know that's a separate, like there's the city of Alexandria and then there's Alexandria like in Fairfax County. Um, but so I was with the city like where Old Town and all that is, um, that's the city of Alexandria. Is there a lot of crime around there? I just want to know that. There, there can, can, there can be. Um, Alexandria. Al Alexandria is divided in like how we do it. We divide it into three parts. Um, there's like the West End. I don't know if you're ever familiar with the Landmark, Landmark Mall. Yeah, a little bit. So over there, and then you got um, our second sector, which is where I worked, which is like where the Burchmere is at and Delray. Um, and then you have sector one, which is Old Town. So throughout all those parts, each of those like sectors have their neighborhoods where there there is issues. And then being connected to uh, just across the river from D.C. and uh, Prince George's County, Maryland, where there's very high crime rates, a lot of that can bleed into our city. Do you ever notice specific or like themes of what kind of crimes like carjackings happen in this location, murders happen in this location, mm -hmm. theft happens in that location? Mm -hmm. Is there a overlapping theme when it comes to, to districts and like things like that? Yeah, I think, yeah, certain neighborhoods have certain crimes. Um, certain areas have certain crimes. Um, you do see those things. Um, I know, especially in my in my neighborhood that I was working, we would get a lot of domestics. That was a big call. Is that like when a, a man beats up on a woman, and, or a woman beats up on a man? What's so a domestic? domestic. So, is there's a difference between like after we've responded to the call and and done the investigation, it then being labeled a domestic versus getting like dispatched to a call that they call a domestic, right? So when they dispatch you to a call. It's always going to, if it's like a guy and a girl arguing, doesn't matter their relationship, it's going to be labeled a domestic. Uh, but then when you get there, it might, their relationship, that guy and girl, um, their relationship, like, when you do the investigation, um, it may be labeled, it may not be domestic because their relationship doesn't fit, like, the domestic criteria. So, like we said, we got a lot of domestic calls, got a lot of calls with juveniles uh, doing doing stuff they shouldn't. Um but yeah, to back back to circle back and answer your question, um, there has been there are overlapping themes. Yeah, there there are overlapping themes, and um, but to go back even before that, mm. um, you know, it's it's so easy to get up up on these rabbit holes. Especially I do that too much, so excuse me. So I appreciate you bringing it. Nah, back. you're you're good, bro. Um, so kind of in this rock and hard place, not really knowing where to go, and eventually God made it very clear to me, hey, to go into to law enforcement, um, and, you know, feeling called by the Lord, and it kind of, the way in which he did it is, I, you know, a lot of times through reflection, 
And I, I feel like reflecting and being introspective and, and quiet, especially now where there's so much noise around it, quieted down and just listening, kind of, I did that. And during that period, I was like, I feel like I am uniquely shaped in the gifts and skills that I have. Um, being able to, to stay calm in stressful situations, being able to help people and, and build bridges with people and to talk to people from all walks of life. I mean, you grew up in this area with me, right? Yeah. We, from the, I mean, I remember from kindergarten, there was, there was kids in our, our classes from every tribe, tongue, and nation. So that's something that we were exposed to and had like a working knowledge of that, right? So that I felt like I had some avenue which every person which I could build a bridge with. You had a unique perspective. Unique perspective, 100%, man. So um, I felt like I had these skills and like, viewing life through a vocational sense not that there's like there's all these like choices of jobs i could pick and i just arbitrarily arbitrarily pick one but rather like sitting back and seeing like how god has shaped and molded me i was like hey i, I feel like for at least this season of life not saying for whatever this fits being the police officer and, and especially the idea of being able to help people in their worst moments like I, there's no other job on the face of this earth that I can think of that has a unique access to be there to help people in their absolute worst moments. Because people call the police when, sometimes they abuse that. I will say sometimes people call us when there hasn't been a need to, but I understand. But a lot of times people call us when they have burned every bridge and where they have no other option. And so that really appealed to me. Um, so if that answers your question, it kind of started out needing a job. But yeah, then, the benefits are probably a big yeah, part a of the police I, officer I choice, though. You can't, come on. The salary could be higher, but <laughs> the, the benefits are great. But really, you know, there was that motivation. I can't lie about that. Got to put food on the table. But seeing that, hey, I've also been shaped and molded, and I want to help people. And I've been shaped and molded to help people in the worst moments, being a police officer gave me that ability to use those gifts. So so only for two years, is there a specific instance that you can think of that comes to, that have you encountered something yet where you feel like you've helped someone in their worst? There's been a lot, man. Um, Just it, one, it, one in particular. It's funny, can. man. Um, there's a lot of, I, I feel like I got thrown into the fire pretty quick. <laughs> um, I've had some close, really close calls. Um, like what? Man? Have had some. But yeah, we can get we can get to that. I'll I'll answer your question here first. But, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I get excited. Yeah, bro. One of the one of the calls that comes to mind. Um, I got a call about two two in the afternoon. Isn't it afternoon at some point? And um, got a call that this guy was at the was at a bus stop with a knife. And he was flinging it around like he was either going to hurt himself or hurt somebody else. And so the call, the call, of course, comes out as a, as a weapon violation. Like we have a computer and when a dispatch, they send us the call on the radio, but they also send out a computer. So we can see on the, the call that's come out and we can see like what the caller has said to dispatch. So the caller saying, hey, there's this guy at a bus stop armed with a knife. He's waving it around like he wants to hurt somebody or himself. Um, so as soon as you, man, as soon as you see like that call, like weapon violation, because it always comes out as a call, like 
where we can go lights and sirens to, it's so easy to get tunnel vision and like you just want to go 100 miles per hour. But um, thankfully, I had really good trainers to just like, hey, take a breath, see what's there, and 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 praise God that we did that, right? So because if we didn't, it could have been real bad. So um, we of course roll up to the call. You know, I'm thinking in my mind, this guy has a knife. I'm trying to you know have as far as as much distance as I can, right? Because I want to have as much time as possible to try to talk with this person, whatever, right? De-escalate. De-escalate, 100%. Because sometimes you get put in situations where you don't have that luxury. And that, it, I pray I never have those days. But sometimes it happens, man. Um, but if, is, if I can do everything I can to not get in that situation, I'm, I'm going to try. So we put some distance and come to find out by the time we had gotten there, a good Samaritan, it probably was not the smartest thing for her to do, but she approached the guy, saw, realized that something was going on. More than this guy like being upset, there's something underlining going there. She approached the guy and was able to get the knife out of his hand. Whoa. So I know. She did the cop job. She, she did the cop job. And so she was... Um, I mean, not the smartest thing, but at the same time, I can't deny she was being a good Samaritan. So, uh, long story short, is the guy, what was going on is he was, and I had never run across this combination before, he was probably about 25 to 28, and he was both schizophrenic mm. and autistic. And so I remember that call just... Because even, even though, like, the knife was away from him at that point, like, he was still very amped up and was scared and didn't know what was going on. And he really, he just didn't want to live anymore. But he kept telling me, like, he, um, he was afraid to hurt himself. So. I'm guessing you deal with a lot of mentally ill A lot, people, a man. lot like that, man. So, and this one was, was specifically, was difficult because of those underlying things going on and um, but we were able to take the time and get him to open up find someone like locate a parent um, who were able to call and and, and help him um, help him agree to want to go to the hospital mm. because in that instance I I did not feel comfortable um, leaving him by himself, right? Because he's saying he wants to hurt himself. Even though he's scared to, he still said the words, I want to hurt myself. Totally. And in the state of Virginia, you know, that's criteria for the police to have what's called the, the emergency custody order, which is prescribed by Virginia law that if, if we believe that someone is a danger to themselves or others, um, that we can take them into um, custody so they can then get mental health treatment. I, okay, and I think that there's a lot like um, yeah. there's a, there's a lot to do with um, man, mental health. It seems like is one of the biggest factors kind of going on, and like mm -hmm. obviously someone's in so much distress and they're out of control at mm -hmm. a moment, or if there's a crime going on, there's some mental health issues going on. Yeah, do, would you say that it'd be a fair? Is it fair to say that m police officers should be more heavily trained in psychiatric? Um, Issues like, mm -hmm. you know, maybe like group uh, psychologist with a police officer mm -hmm. and go and go f like fight crime that way. Do you think that there was enough 
mental training on the police end for you to become a, a valuable police officer. Besi like yeah. your personal experience alone, like aside, yeah. did they give you the correct and enough tools? Is mm -hmm. the, what the question is. I believe they did. I I I believe they did. There can always be more, and and, and the and you and to a certain extent, there has to be a limit because police officers are asked to do so many different things, and so. Yeah, if you're focusing on so much training here, then it inevitably takes away from other areas that you need to be trained as well, right? Yeah. Because at the end of the day, yes, we respond to mental health calls. Um, we're having to have some skills in being able to handle mental health calls, but at the same time, we're first and foremost a police officer that are there to keep people safe and to you know um, handle um, occurrences where crime is occurring, right? So that's something you have to keep in mind is like, yes, there can always be more training, but at the same time, there's, if we do more training, that's also going to take away from other areas. Well, so what, you, what, you psychiatric, what psychiatric training have you gone through in the academy? So, the, so after the academy, so during the academy, we have some classes on mental health, just very basic, you know, no one kind of do's and don'ts, right? And then after the academy, you get further training um, and called mental health first aid. So the idea of that, right, is, hey, this class upfront is not going to make you psychologist right it's not going to make you a counselor because that takes years and years and years and years right hours and, and to be licensed right hours and hours and hours of practicing and counseling and especially when you get to mental health issues very severe mental health issues um the training and that the clinical hours that are needed are go up exponentially yes right? so it's like hey this class is not that upfront but what it is like that that idea of first aid that you can have at least enough skills and awareness to go into a situation and try to put a band-aid on it where, hey, I'm going to keep this situation as safe and stable as I can until I can get someone that, hey, has a, a, a better skill set than I do mm -hmm. to then really do what needs to be done. Because a lot of times when mental health, we come across mental health calls or when they get sent to us, it's when that person who is experiencing a mental health crisis is in the absolute worst place it, they're yeah. usually either looking to hurt themselves or or lurking looking to hurt others or unable to care for themselves that will lead to to a bad outcome right and so that is why you know giving us the skills hey to just keep that situation stable make sure it's safe because it you know there has been ideas floating around what what would it look like or would it be beneficial to have a mental health counselor right around with a police officer or have a mental health counselor to go to some of these calls, then have a police officer respond. Mm -hmm. And what do you think about that? That is a that is a loaded question, a can of worms. I think my I'm all for looking into experimenting to a certain degree, right? Because again, like like just what I just said, a lot of those calls when they come out to us with mental health. Are at their worst moments. Yeah, and so and those are some of the most predict unpredictable calls, and those are some of those calls where they can go from zero to one hundred really quick. And unfortunately, some of those calls require us to use the tool on our tool belt or our hands to keep it safe. And I I always hate that. I never want to, but sometimes like. Because at the end of the day, it's not just about me keeping me safe and others safe, but it's trying to keep that person safe mm -hmm. too. You know, 
And I would hate to have a mental count, a mental health counselor or someone thrown into that position where they're not trained to be able to do that. 100%. Because there are instances where you can talk people down, but unfortunately there are instances where you can't. You can't. And we, we, we've had that before. Um, so I think it, it's always good for th those, if you can kind of screen those calls, you know, if it if it seems like it's 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 less at that end of the rope, then maybe this you know maybe have a, a counselor go with a police officer, but if it's like really at the end of the rope, let the police go in, try to keep it safe, um, and then have that counselor respond. And yeah. then to that, I would say what else you can do though, and what else we do besides the mental health first aid is CIT training. So the, what that's called is crisis intervention training. So that is further training that a police officer can get, which further equips them um, to go into those situations and keep it stable until someone else can come in. Do they get paid more if the police officer goes through that training? Um, to my knowledge, you don't. That's ridiculous, man. It, I mean, yeah, yeah. no, it, it's it's really ridiculous yeah. because first of all, you get paid more money based yeah. on how hard the job is, yeah. right? Yeah. And you you just said so yourself that the salary was kind of bullshit. It wasn't as much as you're like. I mean, I think we deserve to get paid more. Is what I'm hearing, and I would agree. Mm -hmm. At the same time, I think, um, in my personal opinion, I th I, I don't know. I, I think that the time it took for you to become a cop, it was very quick. If you wanted it, it was there for you. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that there's a big issue going on right now, like people aren't respecting police officers enough and possibly I believe that there need to be more qualifications mm -hmm. to become a police officer. Mm -hmm. A real police officer should be seen as, an, as a desirable job, mm -hmm. it should be seen as a hard job, mm -hmm. it should be seen as hard to get into the, the Marines, it should be as hard to be a Marine as it is to be a cop. Mm -hmm. And I think that you fit that criteria off bat. but... But personally, the more training you have, the, the more qualified you are, the better, more money you should get. I, I think mm -hmm. that um, to benefit everyone involved, mm -hmm. to add to your salary, mm -hmm. the force needs to enforce a psychiatric like two like a two year long course or training that they go to college or they go somewhere and, and literally learn how to be a psychologist for two years yeah. or something like that, add to their salary. And, and, and raise up the opinion and, and the job of a cop. Mm -hmm. That's what I, th I think that the world really needs that right now. And I'm curious, and I think that that's kind of why, um, I'm curious what you think that obviously you're biased, but the defund the police movement mm -hmm. is a very, was a very popular notion. Mm -hmm. I don't believe in defunding the police. I do believe in reallocating money. I, I do believe in that. I believe in possibly defund, something's wrong. There, I, 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 I was uh, sitting in class once and this, this guy next to me, he just let me know he's a traffic cop. I'm like, you're a traffic cop? He's like, yeah. I'm like, you're in college right now? It, and apparently you don't even need a college education to become a traffic cop. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's ultimately ridiculous. I think that if we want these people to protect us, we need them to hold themselves to a higher standard. We need them to fit a certain criteria. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, how can you expect to enforce that, that good Samaritan criteria when you're like so much in the middle yourself it's like mm -hmm. you know we should be looking at heroes not looking at and i and, and looking at not everyday people i don't mm -hmm. believe that i think we should be looking at them as a raised up example mm -hmm. and i think that that's the important part and and 
And and um, yeah, I just I yeah, I, I think to add they need to add that little level of yeah. training, and then it'll add to the salary. Everyone will be more happy. But a better vetting process to become a police officer is, I think, what's needed right yeah. now. Well, I think well, there's a lot there's a lot there, and and, and there's a lot of different issues and questions, like all kind of in, in what you just said. I, yeah, I, no. I think they kind of break it break it down right. So you have the idea of okay. You know, because vetting's on one end, and then once you get vetted, okay, so we're, we're talking about officers being being better equipped, being better trained. I think, you know, ideally, and some departments have gone this way, and usually they're bigger departments because they have the money, the resources, the manpower to do so, is that you would have a, let's, take mental, let's go back to mental health, right? That you would have a certain, if you want to call it, um, you know, division or unit, that that's all they do. Right, that's all they do is they respond to mental health calls because, again, I still wanted to be an officer, so they have the tools um, to respond to some of those very high-risk, dangerous situations. But at the same time, they are more equipped than, hey, say I am or other officers in dealing with mental health because that's all they do. Um, I think that's the idea that, that should be run with and should be supported and money should be allocated towards that if possible. I know some departments like... Memphis have done Memphis Police Department and the Houston Police Department. Um, there's even a show about the Houston Police Officer, Houston Police Department that uh, that the officers that were engaged in this unit. Um, because again, if that's their primary function, if that's their primary focus, then you know, giving them that training isn't the impact of it taken away from other training isn't as much as, hey, for a patrol officer that has to do, okay, not only mental health, but I got to do traffic, I got to respond to active shooter situations, God forbid that ever happened, I got, to, I got to search, you know, I got to respond to alarm calls, do building searches, right, I need training in all these areas versus, you know, a mental health, um, officer responding to mental health calls, where that's a specialized unit where, hey, they're not tied to the radio, so that's the only calls they're going to. These calls come out, crime occurs, and they have to respond to it because that is what they've signed up to do. Now, it is important that in those situations that um, police are aware of their um, implicit biases. They are aware of what, what bents they might have towards other people groups. Um, and that in those situations, they treat everyone with procedural justice. They explain what they're doing. If they stop someone, they actually have a legit legal reason for stopping someone. So what I'm trying to say is it's a crappy situation. Yeah. And police job is to respond to that situation. Now they can, they need to be mindful of how they respond to that crappy situation. But I think it is incumbent upon other, other forces in society to help change that situation to begin with. And that does come down to all humans, right? Because I'm more than just a police officer. My fellow police officers, we're more than just police officers. So it's incumbent upon in every area of our life, whether it be through our church, or other place of worship, or it be through a, a community organization, we're just in our daily interactions as humans, is that we seek to change that systemic racism that's there. And so that's kind of how I, I view it, is right, it's there. And in all area of my life, I, I seek to take care of it. I seek, I seek to change it one person at a time. As a police officer, a lot of times I have to respond to crime that does come from these, um, from whether it be Hispanic, all Hispanic neighborhoods, we're all black neighborhoods, um, these lower income neighborhoods. 
Um, but I am mindful in when I respond to those calls, how I handle those calls. And so I think that it's a very complex, gray topic that it is, it's hard to deal with. So I guess I'm trying to think yeah. of some solutions for the issue. Yeah. And, and um, yeah. one solution that I could think of, and I want to know what you think about this, is possibly like an uh, affirmative action type of uh, avenue where you make sure that there are certain amount of each demographic mm -hmm. patrolling certain areas yeah. so it's more like they have more more stake in it and they have more of a understanding of the of the of the intrinsic nature of these beings yeah. you know yeah. i think that that's kind of a very important thing cuz there's two there's, so far it's like you know, someone who looks nothing like you trying to enforce a law mm -hmm. does not have the same effect as someone who you can attribute. You're like, that looks like my cousin. That looks like my uncle mm -hmm. who's telling me I'm being an idiot. Like, mm -hmm. I think that that holds a lot more weight than this idea of some other coming in and telling you what to do. It seems like it'd be a good idea to add a little bit of, a, of, of you know... If we if we're dealing with systemic racism, we understand the racial bias. Mm -hmm. Shouldn't we battle that with the same mentality and have some racial bias in the positive light? Be like, okay, fine, we're gonna have more of your race um, protecting you and and enforcing the laws surrounding you. What do you think about that? I think I think there's some truth there. I I would say because I've had both experiences as a police officer, right? I personally I patrolled in a predominantly uh, Hispanic area, specifically Central American, even more specifically um, El Salvadorian. Um, so right there, uh, Chirilawa, um is a predominantly El Salvadorian um, neighborhood um, that was came to being after uh, this uh, El Salvadorian Civil War. There's a lot of refugees that came and settled in that area, and so they've been settling there um, ever since. So I have seen policing in that area um, where I have dealt with um, going on calls and I'll be with a Hispanic officer and the um, people that we're interacting with are Hispanic and they'll be like, they'll listen to me more than they'll listen to, to him or her. So really? I, I've had that, but then I have had other instances or they uh, they respond more to the Hispanic officer. And, and then I've had it when I've gone on calls, when I've um, you know, been on calls where we're, we're interacting with African-Americans and I've had an African-American officer where they respond more to that African-American officer, but then there's other times where they, they respond more to me. So I think... I, and, to and paint it in one stroke is wrong. Exactly. And that's why you have, to, you have to break it down and look at specifics and stay away from generalizations as hard as that can be. Now, I would say there is benefit because at times... Even if that person that you're interacting with on that call is not responsive to an officer of the same race as them, at least that officer, if they may be able to help you have the right perspective and understand where this person that you're interacting with is coming from. Now, I think it is definitely helpful on that level, um, but I don't necessarily think it's some type of... Uh, what you want to say, key that's going to unlock and make every call go smooth. Yeah. Because every person is different. And, and sometimes, honestly, there's more hostility between, um, people of the, between people of the same race, right? Because the subject might be to the police officer of the same race, like, like bro, like, 
you betrayed us. Yeah. There, 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 there's some of that too. Like, so I've seen that too, man. So people, people are complex, right? So like calling someone sim- Uncle Tom or whatever. Right, like, man. So simple solutions are, are not always the answer, but I do think there is some truth and there's some good insight in that. I think at the very least having officers of a particular race dealing with calls in a neighborhood of that same race is helpful for officers like me, bro. Like I, I didn't grow up. I'm not Hispanic. I'm not African American. So I don't know what it's like to be Hispanic or African American living in America where honestly they face challenges that I've never had to face or never can conceive of facing. So I think it's helpful to have that perspective because I can only have sympathy. I can't really have empathy. So I do think it is helpful on that, on that end. Nice. So I guess um, I, this is just going to one of these Instagram questions. Yeah. Um, have you? I, we've kind of already covered this, but have you ever been in a situation where other cops acting acted dishonestly? Um, I've never, and this is you know me truly being honest. I've never seen any officer that I work closely with um, being dishonest. Now. I think though there is a whole, it's not just about being honest and dishonest, right? It's about handling the call the appropriate right way. Mm-hmm. Um, right? I think you have to have honesty, integrity at the foundation of everything, but an honest and person full of integri- uh, integrity can also handle call very poorly. So I have seen instances where there have other officers where it's like they didn't necessarily do it the wrong way. But I wouldn't have done it that way because I felt like they were amping up the situation where if we did it a different way, we could have kept it kept it a little lower. So hopefully that answers that question. It does. It does. Um, let's see. What else? What stereotypes do you disagree most about police officers? Yeah, oh, that's good. That's good. Um, I think this, there's a stereotype, man, that we're like... We like revel to take people into jail or to take people into custody, right? Or get people in trouble. Not at all, man. Like, Cops <laughs> like power tripping. Like, yeah. It's like, it's like, like honestly, the... I can speak for me and people like, we, we are truly there um, to help. And like a lot of times, like you, you do have your, your people who commit crimes and do stuff like, and man, they need to go to jail. And because... They just do like, and you have that, and we gotta do it. That's the job. Like, fine, we gotta do it. There are times, man, where people commit crimes because they're in a bad spot where they where they got a bad day, and they did something that they shouldn't have done, and there needs to be consequences for it. But at the same time, like, it's it can be painful. Where it can be sucked to, to to do your job and have to take that person to jail because it's like, you know what? I I know like you're you're in a bad place in life. You're in a bad spot, and I wish there's more I could do. To help you and hopefully by by taking you to jail and, and letting you kind of feel those consequences, maybe that's what, what you need. So I think that's one misconception that we love, man. We love um, the lust for the bus, man. We we, we love we love locking people up. Like no, no, not at all. I, I think another um stereotype. Stere- I, I don't know if I would phrase it as stereotype, or maybe even to broaden that question, like misunderstanding. And, and one thing I want people to, to acutely be aware of for police officers um, that I wasn't, I wasn't aware of before I became a police officer 
is how much trauma as a police officer you go through. Mm. And I don't say that to like, you put, don't, mm. and I don't say that to put police officers on some pedestal or some group like, hey, black lives matter, blue lives matter. Like, no, like, bro, police officers aren't a race. Black lives, do, <laughs> black lives do matter, and that needs to be true. Like that needs to be taken seriously. So sometimes people use the blue lives matter as a catch up. Like that's not your race. That's not your primary identity, and you need to remember that. So I, but I say that to just bring awareness and understanding of a lot of times where police officers are coming from, because you, for instance, for us, man, we work eleven and a half hour shifts. So from the time. I would leave my door at 7 o'clock. I wouldn't get home till 8.30. And sometimes, a lot of times, every other week, that's on a weekend. So that's a whole three days where I barely get to see my wife. I barely get to see my son. And during those 11 and a half hour shifts, man, you're on patrol. You respond to any call that comes out. So anything under the sun, man. And people are calling at their worst moments, right? Every time, right, there's a sudden death. Anytime there's a body, right, we got to go. We got to investigate. I mean, you see some of the worst stuff, man, that no one should have to see. And even if you don't think in that moment it's impacting you, because as a police officer, as a defense mechanism, you kind of, sometimes you kind of go on autopilot. You just kind of get callous because everything you see, if you let every single thing you see sink into or you would go, you would go mad. <laughs> you just, you, you just would. So, but at the same time, your body's absorbing that trauma, right? Like humans are complex, like if you want to call it like ecosystems, man, like we are complex people. And so even though maybe up here consciously, like I've become numb that it's not really impacting me, maybe on another level, bro, my body's like absorbing that trauma. So that's why like a lot of times I'll be like, I'm feeling anxious and I'm feeling agitated and I don't even know why I am. It's because I've been absorbing all this, not like, I don't want to say nonsense. Like I, I, I didn't enjoy going to this calls to help people, but like dealing with all that brokenness, jadedness of the world. So police officers, it's negative stimulus. It's constant constant negative stimulus. It's something like, uh, who threw it? So one of my field training officers, so he's no longer in law enforcement, but very close friends with, he threw statistics at me basically that your average person, and, and this is this is standard, right? This is kind of because there's some people in society who go through a lot more and they're never in law enforcement, right? Your standard person has maybe one or two traumatic, like true, like like truly traumatic experiences in their life. I'm not just talking about like you know like a little eighth grade breakup. It's traumatic in a moment, but you know what I'm saying. Like in the yeah. it seems like truly like a life altering, like a like a death of a very close loved one. Um, about one or two. Police officer over there, over a 25 career span, you're looking at like 200. Jesus. And to me, based upon what I've seen, even in just like, maps, like my, my time on a social work, right? Like a, a year on the road. I think that number's a low ball because I, <laughs> I mean, so I'll just. You're being honest. I, right? I'll just be honest that, and and I think that plays into, and, and another reason why I bring this up is I think it plays into a lot of what's going on in society, right? Because there is systemic racism, and there is there's off there are cops out there who are bad cops and are racist, right? And again, I can say that confidently because at the end of the day, my identity is not a, as a as a 
first and foremost, is not as a police officer. He's as a human being. All right? So I don't want another negative human being in this job that we're so much power. You basically, a lot of times, hold life and death in your hands, right? I don't want someone that shouldn't be in police to be in that because that impacts everyone, right? So there are a lot of racist There, I shouldn't say there's not a lot. There are some racist cops out there. There are some bad cops out there who should not be. But at the, and so there are situations where the use of force that we see a lot of that probably are racially motivated. I can't lie. There is some of that, right? I would say I think there is another element where some of these call, where some of these use of force instances are related directly to the mental health of that police officer. Because, because they're seeing all this stuff and all this stuff, man, like when they go home, they may be shut down and then it creates marital problems. It creates problems with the family. It creates all these problems, right? And then over time, that gets in your head and you go to work and you're not in the right headspace. And then before you know it, you've made a life-altering decision that, because you weren't thinking clearly. Or you were acting out of emotion. Or you're acting because out of you're emotion. Dude, that is... Up. So I think that's why it's so important. And I think a lot of people aren't talking about that. Like if we really... Because it's so easy in society to be tribal. Right, the be tribal. Well, I got my group here. I got this group over here. Right, and this narrative that is being painted. Right, it's always race, 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 because that allows us to demonize police officers because that's easy. Right, that's easy to deal with. We got this group. This group is righteous. This group is not. Right, it's easy when we paint it in black and white. It's a lot harder when it's a complex situation when we're like as human beings. We're all a little plus, flawed. We're all flawed, and we're all in this mess together. Now, I'm not saying there isn't issues of race. There is, but there's also a lot of issues, man, where there's mental health. And if you want to fix the whole picture, the bigger picture, you need to take every malady into account. Mm. And so a lot of times, I would say is we also, yes, we need to be invested in breaking down systemic racism. We need to be invested in vetting more police officers. We need to be um, investing in teaching police officers to be aware of their implicit biases but we also need to be invested in making sure that our first responders are taken care of in their mind and their heart and their soul. Because if they're not, it is a huge, huge, huge liability. Um, I think that that's a really, really key point in what we're talking about. And, you know, to have a very crude example, okay, mm -hmm. um, let's say like uh, Kobe beef, right? That is the top choice fucking beef, man. What, ha what, what is going on with that cow all day? It's being massaged. It's getting drunk all day. Is it? I've never it, had it. So no, me it. neither, but I just heard this. Yeah. So it's literally, they, they put the best conditions on this cow. Yes, to slaughter it, but it, the whole mindset is if it has a happy life, the product will be yeah. that much better. 100%. And I think that that, is a vi that, can be, that, can, that can bleed into real life. Like it's like... You know, and I think that's a wonderful point. I, I, you're, you're bring, I'm getting excited now. It's like you're bringing up like this whole idea of um, making sure that the cops are okay. Mm -hmm. The people that are protecting us, mm -hmm. we need to make sure that they are okay. Yeah. And I think that too much, I think a little bit of a, is a toxic masculinity, a whole, like it's ultimately, mostly, I'm not going to say ultimately, it's mostly men on the force. Kind of this alpha mentality, like, no, I'm good. I'm toughing this shit out. I'm toughing this shit out. That trauma didn't mean shit. Yeah, yeah we'll all go have a beer later. It's like, but mm -hmm. like you said, that trauma never leaves. It, it, it's, it's still in you. There needs to be a fucking once a week uh, a, a psychologist meeting with, a, with police officers one-on-one. -on -one, tell me how you feel. What really bothered you? 
That is so important. The mental health on both ends. They like there needs to be as good training on uh, in dealing with mental health crises. But then in the same aspect, it's like you know people don't recognize that after a while it would be difficult to not get jaded when all you see is fucked up shit. You know, if that's all you see, then you are gonna get jaded and. I don't think that enough cops are given the opportunity to talk about their feelings. One hundred, no. And, and I think especially now, like, there's not only, like, you're referring to, is there's definitely the stigma, stigmatization, whether, you know, it comes through, kind of backed by a wrong idea of what it means to be um, a man or for you know, a female, a wrong idea of what it means to be a police officer, um, or to be, for, for any man or female, what it means to be tough. Um, we're strong. Yes, yeah, strong um, is the right word. There, uh, so there's that, and then I think it's just that's um, stigmatization combined with now you have a platform where police, man, they they're just kind of told like, shut up, you're in this. Honestly, like you are in this demonized category. Now no one's going to talk because, and that's a more dangerous place to be because now you're putting a lot of you're pushing a lot of police officers into this field where man they feel isolated from the rest of society and i've always believed the most important one of the most important chief things that you do and can do to be the best police officer possible is that you remember first and foremost that you are human and not a police officer because as soon as you forget that you're a human everyone that you come in contact with is just this subject it's not another human being, right? Just like you, just like just like me, that needs help. Um, so I think it is so important that we we create an open forum that that and That's, whether that be public, whether that be private, with a counselor, um, that and I can speak for my department. My department is, or now my former department. Now that I'm moving to a different state and have left but my we're gonna form- miss you in Virginia oh yeah <laughs> my former department was at the cutting edge of of that there are some amazing people at Alexandria who are really fighting for that to to destigmatize mental health amongst police and being able to talk and then also the city is great about providing free counseling after a traumatic event um, nice. for, for police officers so yeah man that's, that's spot on bro spot yeah on. I, I, I think that um, what was I going to say uh, it's a lot to chew yeah it's, dude. A, it's a lot to chew on it is a uh, it, it, oh, fuck I lost it again <laughs> oh yeah moral conflicts you know yeah. you know and I think that there, there's an interesting you were like you know first and foremost we are pol- we're people and it's like, yeah. I think if you keep, if you tell a group of people like you, you are the problem, you're the problem, eventually they're going to internalize that and they're going to act as such. And, and, um, you know, a part of me, I, I actually disagreed before this interview. Like I was like, it seems almost that maybe sometimes cops are too biased. They are too human, if you will. They are too much like, I have a life outside of this. It's like, if you put on that badge and, and that uniform, doesn't that mean that you are putting everyone else's life before your own? Yeah, I, I think with certain, especially with certain calls, 100%. I, I think there is a level that you are giving a huge responsibility to someone. Right? As a police officer, you carry so much power, so much responsibility. Again, you literally have life and death in your hands at times. You literally have the ability to take someone's freedom away, which is 
I mean, it's crazy when you begin to think about that type of power. Um, but it's important to see that, like, that's still a human that you're giving to. Now, that doesn't mean, like, go through, go through all the vetting, right? Go through all the testing, right, to make sure that person is, you know, psychologically fit, to make sure they don't have, like, any demons in their closet, so to speak, that could come back and bite them or, or come back and blackmail them, right? But at the same time, it's, it's important to realize that you're still, as a, as a police officer, to realize that you're human, right? So, like, you're not Superman. There's going to be stuff that's going to make you cry, and it's okay to cry. Um, and there's going to be times that you, you do make mistakes, and it's important that you own up to that mistake, and it's important that you, you call out your mistakes and you admit to them. And, and then it's important for the public to see that they are humans, right? That those mistakes are going to happen. Now, let's try to limit the severity of those by, again, vetting and proper training. Um, but, yeah, I think... Yeah, there, I, I see there is this balance of, yeah, given so much responsibility, so much power, but putting life, others' lives before your own, but remembering that you're still human and, and that doesn't make you Superman, so. Jesus um, Christ, what the hell is going on? Yeah, so yeah, I understand what you're saying. Though. Oh, man, so, I mean, with the vetting process, um, we're almost done. Yeah. Um, I was just, you know, it seems like the issue is, is like a lot of these higher up cops that are harder to fire and harder to hold accountable are the ones kind of causing the dirt. I've heard that a lot. I've heard a lot of police officers, you know, quit because they're like, this is a very corrupt situation. And the people at the top who have the power want to keep that power and they know that they're being corrupt. Like, how would, internally, yeah. where's the checks and balances and how does that work? I can't, so I can't speak to other departments. I, right. I can't, I can't speak to, I understand, like, you know, with every generalization, I'm sure there's some truth or some departments that are worse than others or some departments are better than others. I know, um, with my department, there was a lot of accountability. And then, and another thing you get into is what, unions like the unions in some states are stronger so it's harder to fire police officers just as it's you know harder to fire someone in a job with a union than without a union like in Virginia the union isn't as strong so it, it is easier to, to fire someone uh, a police officer without a union than there is one you know with a strong union or um, a weak union so a good union is good when it comes it's to good and bad right like with everything like there's good with it because it helps police officers get the pay they need it also helps you know to re represent them when they are unfairly sued right mm. or unfairly treated right um but there are also negative consequences where someone that needs to be fired it may be harder to fire them than it should be i can say in my department though um what i what i saw again i am i am young i have only been on for a year but from and i don't know as much as maybe some of our senior officers but um from what I saw, there was always that accountability. And a large part of that, it wasn't just internally that there was checks and balances, but from our community as well. Our community demanded the utmost. So if we did something wrong, like it was going to be found out. Like, yeah, we don't have body cams. But you don't have body cams. Don't, Why don't you have body cams? Because they're so, and it's something a lot of people don't know how expensive body cams are. So for us, it would cost just a million dollars a year for the day to, to store all that data what and then on top of that right you have all the different lawyers you have to bring on as far as reviewing that footage releasing that footage you know ed, you know not editing but like blurring out 
if there needs to be all that. It's so crazy that money would ever be an issue when it comes to a, a police force. Hey man, money we're we're paid by the we're paid we're paid and funded by the city. The city is paid and funded by tax, right? It's a whole economic system that so we, we suffer when the economy suffers, right? That, that's ridiculous. But, uh, but yeah, so body cams are super expensive. But regardless, man, like even then, man, like if we we did something that we shouldn't do, we knew that it, it would be found because our, our citizens are so vigilant as they should be. And other officers, man, like we have truly like upstanding officers that like, man, if I did something I shouldn't have been, I knew I was going to get called out by another officer as it should be. So... You do. You can have those checks and balances, um, even without having body cameras. But again, to, to answer your point, like you know, I, I understand there's some of that kind of going around. But I can only speak for my department that hey, I didn't, I didn't see that. But I, man, you know, the old, the issues that I'm hearing is the opposite of defund the police. I think we need to invest more money into the police. I think that we need to get mm -hmm. the psychiatric training that they need. Mm -hmm. Even for personal use, you know, yeah, to, to better yeah. deal with their own internalized trauma. If they have that training right at the beginning yeah. during the academy, yeah. then that could that could help things along the way. It could help them in their line of fire. It could help them yeah. in all aspects. It seems like that is so integral is that there needs to be more money but allocated correctly yeah. inside exactly. the police department. I think that the military should be allocating some of their money and helping out the freaking police yeah man i i think i think that is there's a lot of good truth there that um a lot of good and truth there that yeah there there needs to be correct allocation and oversight of that allocation and training um, there could be more more and more training um 100 and um yeah those are things i think it is like i said it's easy to, to paint broad strokes and to say hey defund defund but then to really step back and think okay like what is that going to do and is that really going to solve the problem and you know unfortunately we we live in a society where, where critical thinking is a lost skill and art and and titter 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 sometimes this uses titter i guess but twitter is <laughs> a um twitter is taken as gospel and is using as a forum for public debate when it is not equipped to sustain public debate, like meaningful public debate. So, um, yeah, man, I, I think that's encouraging for me to see that you see, um, as well as others see that, hey, defund the police, like, there's going to be some severe ramifications. So let's kind of look at what might be a better better avenue to pursue. So Thank you so much for talking with me. Yeah, man, man I appreciate that so much, dude. Absolutely. Absolutely. God, it was nice running into you before you're off the. Where are you yeah. going, Texas? No. No, no, we're going to go to the uh, great land of Ohio. So. Hey, Ohio is for lovers. Yeah, Ohio is a great state. But yeah, man, I appreciate it. It's been a joy. Hopefully, this can just play a little part in making things a little better and being able to facilitate real, honest discussion that actually takes us into doing good actions. So, yeah. Same. Yeah. All right, brother, right. Oh my god. All right. Well, thank you again. Yeah. Peace out, guys. <laughs> oh man, that was good. What the fuck are these